It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone and welcome to the Growth of Podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B. It's your host here Edward Ford and joining us today on the show is Richard Makara who is growth marketing engineer at Smartly.io. Now Richard joined Smartly in their events team before becoming marketing lead for the EMEA region. From there he established Smartly's growth function with two other colleagues where their end goal is to achieve real-time automated account-based marketing at scale. But why set up a growth function? How do you operate and run a global growth team who is spread across Europe, North America, and Asia? And how do growth teams scale up ABM operations when your SaaS business is going up market and targeting the enterprise? Well, Richard talks us through all this and more, including a simple yet genius direct mail campaign called Operation Royal Mail, which helped Smartly's growth team get to grips with account-based marketing. So let's get into it. It's episode 44 of the Growth Hub podcast with Richard Makara, growth marketing engineer at Smartly. Welcome to another episode of the Growth of Podcast, and it's my pleasure to welcome Richard Makara, growth marketing engineer at Smartly, to the show. So Richard, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Growth of Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, super excited to dig into this. And I think to start things off and give us some context, could you start by explaining why you decided to establish a growth team at Smartly? Yeah, there's a combination of reasons, right? One is that we had a large database. We had lots of great content, lots of willing customers to speak for us, but we weren't really utilizing that. Um, At the same time, we wanted to really improve the sort of technical and data arm of our marketing team and start owning a lot more of the data, the systems, and well, the way we capture and distribute content to our prospects and customers. So in that sense, it made a lot of sense to put a band of geeks together to start tackling this problem, sort of starting to rebuild our marketing systems, and then at the same time start pulling out growth experiments. Yeah, awesome. And I think a starting point for many growth teams is often getting a good set of clean data. So how did you actually solve this challenge, gather and clean it up, and and actually get a good set of data that you as a growth team are able to then use? (laughs) So where do I start? Well, the short answer is we haven't yet. Um, and to some extent, I don't necessarily believe we will ever be at a hundred percent clean data sort of scenario, both on the marketing data side, but also on the sales data side. And I'm not sure we should ever strive towards that. Think about it this way. We, as a growth team are going to be running and are running various kinds of experiments, trying out new ways to capture data, trying new fields that we want to look at. Um, so, so essentially we will never be at a clean stage because we're always experimenting. But yes, I agree. The point is to have clean enough data that we understand and we can trust so that we can actually use it. So the question then is, how did we go about it? Well, on the marketing side, it was like the starting point was rather clean. We had lots of contacts and there was a lot of missing data, like simple, simple things like some of the country we're missing industries, roles. So we essentially just started backfilling it from, let's say, what we had in Salesforce. We started matching it down, down to uh, the contact level via workflows. At the same time, some of the data was structured in a very different way or 
not in a very different way, but just incompatible for direct workflow to be used. So we would, you know, use uploads where we would fix the data. And in some cases, we came up with a few scripts to just pump that information back into HubSpot. But that's that's just one part. So cleaning up what we have and backfilling the information. The, the second part for us was to, to look at the way and what we're tracking on a person level and redefining that. So, you know, removing contact level fields that were not used anymore, were not useful, and starting to add fields that we actually want to test. And especially, this is something we can talk about on a lead qualification side is, is where we focused our rebuilding efforts. Yeah, awesome. And I think following from here, so once you gather that data together, could you tell us a little bit about your processes and how you as a growth team are actually operating? So our team consists of three people. Myself here in Helsinki, Greg in Singapore, and Brian in New York. So we, <laughs> we're a global team, remote across three time zones, which you know makes it quite challenging for us to be working together. But um, we knew that from the start and, and we made, made it to a point that our first action point, um, aside of building the roadmap, is, is to figure out how we're going to work together. So far, done via rigorous monday.com notes, pulses, tagging and updates, all of our conversations about what, whatever topic are public on our flow. Um, we always tag the rest of the team whenever there is a conversation once a week we we have a weekly stand up similar fashion that engineering teams have where we look at what what are the priorities of the week decide on them and then start working next week we check whether we got them or not and then we reevaluate point there is we always have to have something that we can achieve within a week if we didn't then the priority was either wrong or it wasn't set concretely enough Aside from that, there's obviously a lot of documentation. And once a quarter, we aim to get together for at least one or two weeks, sort of to plan out, share all the knowledge, and hack a few pieces, a few ideas together so that we can actually work independently if needed. And the end goal, which we're working towards, is for all three of us to be full stack so that we can kind of, in, in a way, work 24-5. You know, once I'm done in my time in Helsinki, I can do handover to Brian he can continue working. Once Greg works up in Singapore, he can continue on the project. So eventually, hopefully, it will become a 24-5 type of loop. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And and as you mentioned there, of course, having a three-person remote global growth team spread across, uh, you mentioned Singapore, Helsinki, and New York. So how has that actually worked out? And how have you overcome some of the challenges associated with operating across all these time zones? Yeah. So first part is to be just brutally honest when something is working when when it isn't and we sort of always think through that lens that if it's not working we need to fix it sort of you know the way you kind of set growth experiments you know set an idea set the metrics do the test see if it worked or not then continue or discontinue that's kind of how our method of working together has evolved over the time but i think like as if, if if i had to sort of put it in in simpler terms how we have been now overcoming some of these challenges is, you know, we set the priorities, we evaluate the impact, and then we think through just enough to get us started. And then before you start thinking too much, and before you hit a wall, you start doing the project. Goal for most of our ideas is to see if it sticks, if there's any interest. um, And then after that, we can make it into a bigger project. 
couple of good examples. Um, I think last week we tried out just live chat on our website without trying to sort of plan way too much ahead. We just set it up on our site and answered the questions ourselves. And the goal there was just to see, do we get interest? Do people open the chat? Great. So a phrase that we often use to remind ourselves about like start, starting some projects or tests is how many people do I need to get involved? And ideally that number should be zero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's super interesting to hear how you as a growth team are, are setting things up and, and operating across all those time zones. And I know that account-based marketing has been a big initiative for you collectively at Smartly and you have a strong enterprise focus and high ACVs. So what is your view as a growth marketer on ABM. And can you tell us about some of your first experiments with ABM? Sure. It's kind of like what inbound was five years ago. You know, five years ago, everything all of a sudden was inbound. Now everything is account-based marketing. But at least in my head, the, uh, the idea of ABM is rather simple. You figure out a list of prospects together with the salespeople, agree on that, figure out how to get them into your pipeline and help them move through the pipeline. That's in itself is, is the way I think about it. Under that, it encompasses all, all of the marketing taxi, tactics that you would also have on what you would call inbound, but you're just thinking, thinking it through a different starting point. But I think there's, there's a few, few interesting things with the potential of account-based marketing. But before I go into that, let me, I can tell you about our first experiments with account-based marketing that was easiest to understand for us. So there was a thing called the box project. I called it Operation Royal Mail. And the idea was very simple. Together with the UK salespeople, we uh, agreed on a list of 40, 50 accounts that they were going after. We figured, figured out who the people were, and we wanted to send them a physical thing to their office addressed to them. The idea there was that we'll send them a smartly branded box that has a good amount of Facebook and Instagram advertising-related content in it, um, a few case studies, some finished chocolate and a handwritten note from the salesperson to the people who are receiving it. Um, we called it the paid social survival kit. And there, I, th I think the, f the first realization was, you know, working together with the sales on the accounts. Uh, sometimes, you know, account priorities change, especially if someone, th they find out that someone's not interested or is, but to a large extent, it went pretty well and pretty leanly. We started the project in early January and the boxes went out a month later. I think the cool part there was um, the handwritten notes. So all of the boxes were addressed to people that worked in the company that either they had talked to or had not talked to. And each person's name was written on the card and signed by the salesperson. So in addition to sending the box, we obviously realized it, it would be a bit weird to just receive a box. So to actually send messages before we sent them out and sent after. Um, there's a few things we learned from this. One is that this type of campaign worked quite well with prospects that we had already some conversation with. Didn't really work with people we never talked to. Um, and definitely brought great sentiment and the, the content, which we made sure to be very insightful, resonated well with the people. And obviously the chocolate was very nice too, but that's a whole <laughs> different story. But all in all, the project went quite well. Obviously that was 40 something boxes that I built myself <laughs> in London <laughs> up until 12 o'clock in the night. But yeah, the project, it went well in the sense that I was requested to do it across Europe. Now, that's a bit harder because we have a good amount of teams in Europe and it's not like I'm going to build 150 boxes myself and ship them out across Europe. 
<laughs> so, so actually, in this case, I made a deal with the company that made my handwritten notes that I would actually pay them a little more, send all the materials to them, send the spreadsheet of what goes where, and they would sort of full package and fulfill and send it for me. The cool thing there, I didn't actually have to build them myself, <laughs> obviously, and that we could, I could customize them a lot more. So this time, the boxes were vertical-specific also. So we had vertical-specific case studies. Some of the booklets that we included were different, dependent if you were retail, gaming, or e-commerce. Um, and this time, there was 150 of them, again, with similar results. But that's kind of account-based marketing in its simplest and easiest way to understand. But I, I, I do think there's a lot more to account-based marketing than this. And that obviously brings us to the digital side. And the digit digital side is a little harder because then we're starting to talk about identifying prospects when they visit you, being able to pull data out of your own CRM and use that in a digital sense. Um, and that requires a lot of clean data. It definitely requires account level syncing in the sense that, you know, you have 15 people from one company, you know, if they enter your system by themselves and you don't match them properly to an account, well, then they're just random people to you. But if you had matched them and if your data does support that, then whenever they come into your system, you already know a lot about them. Yeah, I think this is fantastic. And I love Operation Royal Mail. I think it's so often when you think of account-based marketing from a growth team perspective, you'd think of a lot of digitally driven initiatives and campaigns, but actually just to do direct mail, send handwritten notes is, is super, super cool. And I think a great way to kind of dip your toes in the water and get familiar with the practices of ABM. So as you move forward, how are you actually approaching ABM now? And what are the concrete steps that you're taking now to establish those good ABM foundations? Yeah. So on the marketing side, we're not just building contact level tracking. We're making sure that whatever we capture from a single person also gets passed down to the account level. And if there are other people associated to that account, we also map that account information to them. At the end of the day, it's people who we need to interact with and most marketing systems are built with contacts in mind. Some of the concrete things um, we, we do want to explore. So take, take for example, some of the tools that Clearbit provides. Clearbit is a company that works with data and is essentially a data enrich enrichment tool for marketing and sales. And they do a, a very various amount of things. So from you know, sh filling, filling information into your forms without having to ask them, revealing who people are on your website uh, to actually giving you discovery options. I think one sort of way that we want to establish account-based marketing um, is, is to do something similar what Clearbid did to us. <laughs> so one, one day I was looking at the Clearbit API documentation and I got a pop-up note saying, hey, I'm Allison, I'm your account manager. Would you like to find out what else you can do with Clearbit? There's a face of, of Allison and I clicked the link, which led me to a nice landing page where it was her face. The link was simply called clearbit.com slash Allison or something like that. And the first thing it said was hi-smartly.io. So from the start, great. They're using their own reveal tool at me. And as I went down the landing page, there were various things that they suggested to me that I could and should potentially use. So upselling and all through the process, the website was customized to me with logo, with text that was relevant to me. 
I think the most interesting thing was the last part where there was a feature that was obviously not part of our plan and the chat chatbot on the side clearly said to me, hey, this is not part of your plan, but we can talk about it, which that tells me that they, they are at a level where they bring in subscription data into the marketing system and dynamically change the site, which is pretty cool. And if, if you ask me, that is the account-based marketing that people should talk about. And that's kind of, that's definitely the direction we want to go to. So being able to know who a person is when they come to the website, not necessarily a person, but the company they are from and being able to change the website experience based on that. Absolutely. I think that's the ultimate goal for ABM. And I think another part of ABM that is needed to be successful is the infamous sales and marketing alignment. So how are you as a growth marketing team ensuring you have that good alignment between your sales and marketing teams? Number one, avoid marketing sourced, sales sourced types of things like the plague. I mean, to us, the and especially in B2B where there's long sales cycles, the, the sort of original source where someone came from to the site, for example, doesn't really, I mean, it doesn't matter to me. Um, so I do avoid, you know, things like which, which lead is marketing's lead, which is, which lead is sales lead. Cause at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. We need to be working on the same leads and helping each other move forward. End goal is to close them. Right. So that's like number one. Um, the second thing is we, we actually, we build, we're rebuilding our system, not only with our ideas and actually even more so with the ideas of sales and customer team. So whenever we have an idea, we, we consult them and sometimes we even build those with them. Sometimes and quite often they actually come to us with ideas and we build them. I think that that is very important because you know, you're, not, you're not doing these things for yourself in a sense, you're doing it for also the sales and customer team. So if you're not involving them from the start, you might be doing the completely wrong things. That's also a very good way for us to get instant feedback and actually keep getting feedback from them. Good example of this was the way we restructured our forms and how we qualify and the qualifying questions. So we had our own ideas. We came up with a set of 10 progressive questions that we added to our website, rolled them out, started collecting some data and looked what the answers were from people. Then we presented this to the salespeople and asked them to actually give us feedback on the questions and the answers. That way we started figuring out which of the questions were relevant, which were not, and which answers actually were worth more than others. And then we iterated. I think we're right now we're already in the like third iteration cycle with them on, on this front. Um, so that's, that's been very good because you know, it's, it's good incentive for them to be involved because it just makes sense and they can be involved. On the other side, sales and marketing alignment. So it's smartly specifically, we all do customer support. Um, and we make sure that our team does customer support. Like we do our fair share because at the end of the day, we are all in the same trenches there. And that kind of brings us a lot closer because we're, we're, you know, we understand the questions we get from clients. We, we are also able to solve them in the support. And we, you know, we end up speaking the same language. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. And I think there are many other companies now who are starting to implement similar practices that all teams would be doing some form of customer support on a monthly basis. So I think that's, that's really good to see. And I think finally, 
like another challenge with ABM, particularly in the long run, is scalability. So are you planning to tackle this in future? And if so, how? Yeah, I, I like that question. Scalability is not an issue. I mean, it's, it's an issue even in short term. Like this project is a great example, right? Um, it was a single test set up quite quickly, lean, um, performed within two, two months. But still, I ordered all the materials myself and I built the boxes. Great. Next iteration, still, somebody else built them for me, but I still had to order all the materials and coordinate the thing. On the digital side, um, I think the biggest issue will be how much do you trust the data system you've put together? If somebody from your prospect list visits the website, that should trigger an automatic event to either do something or for your automation to do something. And at the same time, it needs to trigger something, a notification for the salesperson to do something, right? So I think automation in this sense is, is very, very important. But at the same time, having a data system that you can trust is even more important because, I mean, you, you can build sales notifications quite easily, but they may, might be completely wrong. I think there's a lot of really great tools that, uh, really great tools out there that definitely I'm looking forward to ex exploring a bit more, um, especially uh, the Clearbit example that I gave. And yeah, I think in the scale, scale, scalability in a sense, it's if you can take your test, Let's, for example, take the, the Clearbit example for an account manager and the account manager's clients go there and it gets personalized to them. That is scalable because I'm quite certain that our account manager has many clients. And whenever any of their client, any of her clients go on that site, the site changes based on who the, who the client is. And I can only assume there's multiple CSMs in that company, which all could have a page like that. So I think that is the direction that would solve the scalability issue. I do appreciate that to some extent that sort of requires you to get that traffic there to begin with, but that is a separate topic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is great. And I think now we could actually move to our closing questions and the fast five challenge. So all I will do to wrap things up is ask five questions and then you just need to answer as quickly as possible. So are you ready, Richard? Sure thing. All right. So first question, what's the one book you would recommend others to read? Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll. Read something different once in a while. You might get some new ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Second question, a SaaS company you love and why? Clearbit. It's engineering led from the start. They utilize their own marketing tools very well and they show what's possible with digital B2B and especially account-based marketing. Yeah, definitely. Third question, favorite place to read about marketing online? Hull.io blog. They have good big topics and those big topics have concrete tactical examples and actual takeaways within the blogs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of their articles were written by Ed, who was also on this podcast, one of our very first guests. So definitely go and go and check that out uh, after listening to this. Uh, fourth question, most important growth metric. Don't think there is one. It really dep depends on the test you're running. So the one metric that matters for the test. If I had to say one, then it would be revenue. Okay, perfect. And then fifth and final question, what would be your best piece of advice for fellow growth marketers? Learn a little bit of coding. Understand how the marketing works on a tech. Guarantee you the world will open up all of a sudden. Awesome. Well, Richard, I have to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us. It was a real pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for having me. 
That was Richard Makara on how to achieve real-time automated account-based marketing at scale. Now you can find Richard on LinkedIn and as ever, if you have any thoughts or feedback, then you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward or connect on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for listening to the Growth of Podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off and make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different things.